The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Regardless of your level of wealth, Today's episode will support you in taking control of your finances and more broadly your life. We'll talk about how your money attitudes and habits affect every aspect of your life. Healthy finances don't imply that you're consistently making good decisions about money. Your spending and saving behaviors mirror patterns you'll find in your relationships, health, and career. Financial behaviorist Sybil Solomon joins us virtually from Wilmington, North Carolina, to share her expertise on the psychology of money. Sybil created the innovative Money Habitudes personality game, which has helped hundreds of thousands of people around the globe to have life-changing conversations about money. She's the author of Inspired Savings and co-author of Bringing Money into the Conversation. Sybil, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Hamda. It's a delight to be here. Oh, I'm so excited you're here to share your pioneering work with us. <laughs> well, it's interesting. When I started 15 years ago, I didn't realize that I would be at this point and that people would be interested and things would still be very new. So it's, it's, pretty ex- it's been an exciting ver- journey. Mm-hmm. And as a frame of reference also for those listening, your work really extends to so many different issues that you address with clients. Yes, it does. Um, When I started, I thought it was going to be very narrow. And what I soon learned is that money is an issue for everybody. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have or where you live or what you do. Money influences everything in your life. And it's a a major factor in the way that we make decisions. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's maybe a stereotypical perception that when you have resources, you don't necessarily have concerns about money behaviors. And the point that you're bringing out is that's not the case. You've worked with people of a huge range of income levels and wealth levels. And either way, since the behaviors that we experience around money translate to other areas of our lives, it's so important for us to take a look at what our habits and attitudes are. Oh, absolutely. You can have somebody, if, if people are feeling like they're not good enough, or then how that can translate. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money. You may it, it still doesn't feel as if you have enough and you have to keep striving for it. <clears throat> Whereas people who have absolutely no money and they also don't feel good about themselves, they too um, 
they're not enjoying their life either and are blaming it on money. Um, but in either case, if you don't, if you have an issue around money, having money doesn't make make a difference. In fact, you know, it's really never about money. Money is just a metaphor for other things in our life. So for some people, money represents security or freedom. Um, other people, it represents love or being accepted. Not having money frequently means that people feel like they're going to be rejected. So typically, when you're talking about money, you're quickly getting into talking about emotions, feelings, values, um, and memories. And you're not really talking about money at all. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate the point that you brought up in our previous conversation regarding the relationship between divorce and money. Uh-huh. <laughs> so people think that um, money is the biggest cause of divorce. And in fact, on almost every survey that you read and every article that you'll read, they'll say if, if they don't say money isn't the top cause of divorce, it's always among the top three causes of divorce. And what I maintain is that it's very rarely ever about money. So in one case, let's say that you have somebody who spends a lot of money and the other one holds on to money, so they're fighting about the money. But in fact, for one of them, money may represent being able to do things, um, being able to be independent, and they they get a joy from spending money, from giving money, and they think the other person's like really, really tight. And the other person mm-hmm. may be holding on to money because they want to make sure that they have security in the future and that they, um, they just see themselves as being very responsible. So what happens is when these two people are together, they're actually balancing each other. Mm-hmm. But if they don't see that, what they just see is that they're pulling in opposite directions. And the more one pulls in one direction, the more the other one's going to pull in the other direction. And once they discover what money means to them and what their relationship with is with money, they can understand each other. It totally changes the conversation to the point where I have actually had a number of therapists um, tell me that they work with people who are going through divorce and the people are coming in totally intending to get divorced, but they're saying, we want to do this in a healthy way. We want to end our marriage in the best way we possibly can. And I've developed a deck of cards called Money Habitudes that helps people understand their relationship with money, what money represents to them, their money personality. And after they've done it, a number of therapists have told me, people said, oh, we thought we were fighting about money. Now that we understand this, we can talk, and it changed the conversation, and they wound up not getting divorced. That's pretty remarkable when you think it about was. that it fine line. <laughs> yeah, what a significant decision in your life when you decide whatever relationship it is that's fundamental to you, if it's a marriage or another kind of relationship, a family relationship, that in essence, if you have the opportunity really to be able to work things out and we just don't necessarily always have the insight and the techniques that we need. So this conversation that we're having today is so valuable and I really appreciate it very much. Well, thank you. You know, one of the other ways that when we talk about relationships that we often don't think about is when people go in partnership together in business and frequently when they start out, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of things to hurdles to get over, They're, they've put in whatever money they've had, and they, you know, they start their business. 
And one of the biggest reasons that um, partnerships fail, again, people blame it on money, but it's not on money. It's really about values. So perhaps um, two people started a business, and they get to the point where the business is being fairly successful. And one of the people, one of the partners says they want to expand, and they're willing to go into debt. Matter of fact, they borrowed money to get the business started. And the other one is like, wait, stop. Um, they had they had not borrowed money. They had put their own money into it, and they want to see their money be really secure. So mm-hmm. instead of jumping and expanding, they're like, no, wait, we have to just stop. We have to keep things stable for a while. Let's just do it sort of step by step. And so one person thinks the other one is being irresponsible and jumping ahead, and the other one thinks that their partner is short-sighted. And really, it has nothing to do with that. Um, it really has to do with looking at what that investment would mean and how that plays out. And again, it changes the conversation and mm-hmm. can allow people then to bring in a third person to help them see how they can get back in balance and mm-hmm. how they can work with each other and, and strategize to use each other's strengths as opposed to just arguing about money and one being tight and one being irresponsible. Right. So each person brings strengths to the equation. And as opposed to experiencing that there's a polarization that maybe could be irreconcilable, there's the idea that you could bring in someone to really help you navigate the situation and see how you can really work with both strengths to be able to move forward. Right, absolutely. What the kind of person would do that, Sybil? What? What kind, you, you mentioned the third person, and of course, the first thing that comes to mind is mediation, since that's a neutral party. I'm just curious about the, thir- the person that you're referring to, what kind of professional would help to navigate these types of situations? Well, it actually depends upon what the situation is, but often just a business consultant can come mm-hmm. in and can take a look at where the business is, um, how it's growing, and listen to both sides of what they envision for the future, because a lot of times we're talking about what the vision is for the company. And mm-hmm. we assume that our partner has the same vision that we do, but that's not necessarily true. So sometimes just bringing in a consultant, um, bringing in a coach to mm-hmm. help people talk it through, to define to define their vision, to talk more about if the person who's saying they want to, you know, they want to get a, a loan and they want to be expanding, to have them talk about what that means um, mm-hmm. and what that debt would mean to them and how they would see paying off that debt. And the same for the other person who's seeming very tight and, no, I don't want to invest anymore at this point, to have them talk about um, what does security mean to that person and how do they envision going forward what level of debt are they comfortable with and how would they secure that money and what other people will be impacted by that mm-hmm. debt. So sometimes it might be a lawyer. Sometimes it could be a coach, a business consultant. If you get to the point where you need a mediator, then that's a little more serious. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and if you have any of those people could be very helpful if they're good listeners and they, they can really see how people are, can fit together and get them to start heading towards the same vision. So they're not talking about money. They're really talking about working together in a productive way. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So in this situation, you really are navigating the relationship, the communication and collaboration between individuals who are partners in a venture. And we also work a lot from a coaching standpoint, we really work a lot with the individual to take a look at their own behaviors and what kinds of adjustments they can make. And just to speak to that, I know you've mentioned to me research on the brain uh, that has some good insights for us when it comes to taking a look at our own behaviors and also some of the subconscious ways that influence how we manage money. And I'd love to hear more about those too. Okay. Um, So if you and your listeners would draw a circle and then inside that circle make a little point where they can join, draw a smaller circle inside of that and draw another circle inside of that. So you have three circles, one on top of the other, one smaller than the other. And that's actually your brain. Mm -hmm. And the outermost section is called the neocortex. And I like to think about that section as a professor. It's somebody who wants to have facts and information, is going to analyze that information, is going to be very future-oriented. What are we going to learn here? Where are we going to go with this information? And they have a goal that they're heading towards. And to get to that goal, they're going to have many steps along the way. It's going to be very methodical, very systematic. You know, most of the time when we're thinking about buying a house, changing a job, getting married, we think that we're being really logical and really analytical and that we've taken all the pros and cons into consideration before we make a decision. But you know what? It's not true. When we take the brain and we hook it up to different things that can measure brain waves, what we find is that we used to think it was 80 to 90% of our logical decisions were influenced and were actually caused by our emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. But recently there's been some research that shows that it's not 80 to 90%. The researchers are now saying 100% of all our logical decisions are being influenced by our, our emotions. Mm. Is that amazing? How does it play out that such a high percentage really is driven by emotion? Okay. Well, let's say buying a house. That's a good one, right? So you're looking for a house, and let's say the house is going to cost $200,000, and that's what you've budgeted, and that's what you think is a good amount to pay for a house where you live. And then as you're looking for houses, you see a house that you absolutely positively fall in love with, and it costs $300,000. And if you really stretch and make everything work out really, really um, carefully, you actually can get that $300,000 house, right? So what you say to yourself is, I deserve that house. That house is going to last me for a really long time. That house is going to be great if we have children and the children will be able to play in it. And it's going to be a great investment and, wow, you know, you, you have a hundred reasons to rationalize why you should go another hundred thousand dollars in debt to buy mm-hmm. this house. Mm. Then what is really happening is you're not really thinking about the investment. What you're thinking about perhaps is, you know, my mother and father, they've never thought I was very successful. If I could buy this house, 
I would look really successful. Mm-hmm. And maybe my mom and dad would show me that they loved me more once they saw that. Or, you know, maybe my wife would be happier, or I want to get married and maybe I'll look more successful if I'm in a, in a house like that. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that that house represents security to me, and my feeling is this is a house that is is going to help me have security, is going to be really good for me financially. So what you're doing is you're not really buying that house for the rational reasons. You're buying it because you want to impress mommy and daddy, or you're buying it because you want to feel good about yourself, Mm -hmm. or you want your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend to care about you more, right? And you don't even realize that those emotional reactions are happening. All you do is you rationalize all the reasons buying this house makes sense. So you mm. buy the house. And then you're right. In debt that's a great illustration. <laughs> yes. And I could see how also the word values comes up as you were talking. That when we take a look at what we value off, that there's a lot of emotion that's really deeply tied into what we value. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we come back, we'll talk about the subconscious ways that influence how we manage money. And also, Sybil will define the primary money habitudes that impact your spending and saving decisions. Stay tuned. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. 
Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by financial behaviorist and creator of the Money Habitudes personality game, Sybil Solomon. Sybil was just talking about how 100% of all logical decisions actually have a, an emotional component, and 80 to 90% are purely emotional. So while we're talking a lot about finances today, we're also just looking at the attitudes and habits that, that we have that translate to all aspects of our lives. And Sybil, we wanted to talk about some of the subconscious ways that influence how we manage money. Okay, well, the the very first thing to say is that when I'm talking about things, these are things that are hidden messages in the back of your brain. So you're not conscious necessarily of some of these things. Some you may be, but other ones not so much. So, for example... Um, when when I would get paid, I would go out and celebrate. And it really didn't occur to me that that had anything to do with my history. And then when I started doing this work, what I realized was that my dad worked nights. My mom and dad were very strict. But when my dad got paid on Thursday nights, he would get home at 2 o'clock in the morning and he would pick up a sack of White Castle hamburgers. Mm-hmm. And we were allowed to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning to eat those hamburgers, which was like a celebration. It was just the the most wonderful thing that happened every week. And the message in the back of my brain that I never thought about was, when you get paid, you should celebrate. Mm. So here I was, an adult, and sometimes I I did consulting work, so sometimes I would get paid once a week, and sometimes I would get paid, you know, once a month or a couple of times a month, but any time I got paid, I felt like, oh, we should go out and celebrate, go out and have a really nice meal. Mm-hmm. It didn't occur to me where that came from. And, man, I was spending a lot of money on the <laughs> months that were really good months. <laughs> a lot of celebration. Yeah, it was. Um, so we, do, we have these messages, and we want to try and understand what our patterns are. So some of those messages come from your family, and you're more aware of those. There are things that your parents would say to you. And we've all heard those expressions, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. If you have a lemon, make lemonade. Um, God helps those who help themselves, so you need to take care of yourself and be responsible. So we have those messages of things that our parents said to us. And then we have the messages of what we saw. So maybe every time a certain relative came that maybe they were the wealthier relative or the more influential relative, that your mom would buy more expensive food and and spend extra money and put out all the good stuff. And you saw that, and then you interpreted that, and you put that message in the back of your brain. And maybe at other times um, your parents would say something, but they would do something different. And what you observed would have a much, will have much more influence on you than what your parents actually told you. So we have a lot of messages from mm-hmm. our family. Is and there an example inter- that you can give, Sybil? You mentioned that sometimes something you observe is different than what your parents actually told you. 
So, for example, let's say that your mother is saying to you, you need to be careful with your money, and you shouldn't be spending money on, on things like that. That's just really wasteful. And then she comes home with bags and bags of things that really weren't necessary, more shoes, more dresses, you know, more, more jewelry or whatever. But she's telling you to be careful at the same time she's going out and spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, so the there's somewhat of a contradiction. Is, excuse me? There's somewhat of a contradiction then. There is a contradiction. Um, and what we, you know, every person will take that indifferently, but they will have a message in their head because of that contradiction. Um, sometimes one of the other things is uh, a mother will, a mother or a father will say, will give money to a child and will say, don't tell your mother I'm giving you this extra money. And then you get this message in your head that says, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And I know I got that message. And when I grew up, I realized I was keeping secrets from my husband, which was ridiculous. He didn't care. We had enough money that I could go and buy a dress. Um, but I would come home and put my dress away and not even mention it to him. Uh, and then when he would see it, he'd say, oh, is that new? And I'd say, no, I've had it a long time, which was ridiculous. And But I realized it came from my mother saying to me when she would buy me something, don't tell your father, because mm-hmm. my father had been raised in poverty, and he really thought if you have two things to wear, one to wear every day and one to wear when that's being washed, that that's quite enough. Right? So messages like that stay with us, mm-hmm. and they come out in many different ways. Right, so you have some of the family norms that you grew up with, some of the things that you have observed, and some of the right. things that you were told that could right. subconsciously be creating certain habits and attitudes about spending and saving. Yeah, and some of the other messages that you can get are by your own personal experience. So, for example, let's say that you're one of these children, and I bet you were one. Were you the really responsible child? Well, I don't know if I'd call myself the really responsible one. <laughs> On, on the hierarchy, I'm a middle child, so I'll put myself in the middle and oh, say my okay. older brother was, was the extraordinarily responsible one. <laughs> so what often happens in families is you have one child that seems to be born very responsible, and the mm-hmm. parents give that child more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And you typically have one child who maybe is a little flaky, not quite as responsible, so parents typically give that child fewer responsibilities. So you start getting messages. The older one is, or one of them is getting the message of, I can be responsible. I'm, I'm good. I'm reliable. And the other one's getting the message of, gee, I, I really can't manage things very well. And does, they don't have the same expectations. And then let's say that the older one is also getting the message that they're doing, they do well in school. They're the ones that get, Get, they get the lead in the play, they get chosen to be on the team, they get good grades. So the message they get is, you're, you're good. You know, you, you're responsible, you can take care of things. So managing money is just one other thing, and they don't think twice about it. Whereas if you've always got the message, you're kind of a loser, you never quite follow through, you can't be depended upon, then the message that they get is, Mm, I can't be good with money. I don't know how to manage it. And as a result, as an adult, they either don't take responsibility for their money and they just, um, they just avoid it or they, take, uh, they let somebody else take over for them. 
mm-hmm. and that could be, you know, that can have lifelong uh, implications as well. Right. So these are long-term behaviors that oftentimes we're just not fully aware of. But when you step back, and it sounds like through your Money Habitudes personality game, you really help people to become more aware of them and also to take a look at what you call their primary money habitudes that impact spending and saving decisions. Absolutely. And the reason is that it doesn't, people are just thinking about their own patterns and frequently they're, they're surprised. So let me give you an example of weddings. If you grew up in a place where weddings were, you're in New York City, right? So yes. I know I had some relatives in New York City, and a wedding was you invite your friends, your family, your business acquaintances, and it's very, very expensive. Um, on the other hand, I was, at, I was speaking out in North Dakota, and they just put an announcement in their church or in their local community paper inviting everybody and they still, they told, somebody told me that they had 500 people at their wedding. I said, oh my gosh, did you give them cake or how did, did you feed them? And they mm-hmm. said, oh yeah, we, we made meals for them. And they only spent $2,500. Right? So if, if that person from North Dakota was getting married to somebody in New York, Mm-hmm. or went to a wedding in New York, they would think that was incredibly extravagant. It was a total waste of money, and they might be really negative about it and just focus on the money. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the person from New York went to North Dakota, you know, they might say, oh, my gosh, they're so cheap, and they, they just have a, a big affair. It's like you don't sit down, you don't get waited on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just see that person is really cheap, right? And it's not about the money, it's about the culture. Mm-hmm. So our right, culture, it's a, just a different frame of reference, which is what we talk about when we look at adapting to different cultures and being able to understand the different ways that people see things like wedding celebrations. Right, and, and the way they give gifts and their responsibility for taking care of other family members. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those are things that you get from your society, from your from your culture, and often you get those messages from your religion as well. So, well, what are the main patterns that you see that you refer to as the primary money habitudes that you work with in the money habitudes personality game? Okay, when when we talk about um, money habitudes, there's six primary patterns of habits and attitudes about money. So the person where security is the most important thing to them, what you're going to see is they're going to hold on to money very carefully. They're going to always look for the better deal. They are going to have a hard time, and again, I'm talking in extremes, okay, but they're going to have a hard time letting go of their money. They're going to be very accountable and expect other people to be accountable as well. Right? Often those people are married to somebody who is, very carefree, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that another habitude of being care is being carefree. And the pattern there is they're not concerned about money. Money kind of passes through them. They don't necessarily know where their accounts are. They're not necessarily interested in making the most of the money that they have. And frequently, if you ask them, you know, say, gee, you just got paid yesterday. Where did all that money go? 
it's like they don't really know. It just kind of passes through them. Mm-hmm. And often, when they talk about opposites attracting, uh, often you'll see a security person married to a carefree person because that carefree person will let them take charge and they want to be in control. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, the carefree person is happy to have the security person be there for them and kind of be their rock. Mm-hmm. And I guess another way to frame it is that they, they have the opportunity to balance each other out. That's a, a learning and adjustment process. Right. But you know as well as I do that often what happens is that they're arguing with each other and they don't mm-hmm. see that they're balancing each other. All they mm-hmm. see is the opposite. One of the other habitudes is planning. And um, people who have a planning pattern, they may or may not have a very formal budget and long-term goals, but in their head, they pretty much know where, what they're looking for. doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but they pretty much know what their own goals are, what they're trying to achieve, and when they get money, they'll put it towards that. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, another habitude is status. And the pattern around status is that what you want to do is make a positive impression on people. So to some degree, that's a really good thing. When you go to work, you should be spending money in a way that you have appropriate clothes for work. Um, When you're giving a gift, you should care about what the other person thinks and give an appropriate kind of gift, right? But when people overuse their status habitude, what happens is that they go too far. They may even put themselves in debt because they care so much about what the other person thinks that they might go over their budget or they might not be able to stop themselves from always paying for that other person to impress mm-hmm. them. And then we had a couple of more, you said, that are patterns right. or habitudes. Yeah. One of the other patterns is the spontaneous person. And the message for the spontaneous person is they want to enjoy the moment. And they're very aware about money, but they find themselves just jumping into things. So when they have money, money is the opportunity to be free, to be able to say, yes, let's go out for dinner, or yes, I want to buy that, or yes, let me um, help you with that. So they, they jump in, and those people need to just stop have some things put in place to just stop them before they can commit their money. And probably Mm -hmm. the best thing that you can do if you are a spontaneous kind of person is to have your money, if possible, automatically put into accounts and your bill paying done automatically so you're not left to see a whole lot of money sitting there and you don't have to be as concerned. And to make sure that you have an amount of money that would be appropriate in your situation so that you can be spontaneous in certain Mm -hmm. situations, but you don't put yourself in debt in order to do that. So we have just about a minute before we go to commercial. I'd love to hear what the sixth one is. The sixth one is giving. And for people who give, they get joy from giving. So um, if while giving is really a wonderful thing, if you overuse giving, you can be giving to people even when they don't want something for you, from you. And on the other hand, you might also be enabling people. And mm-hmm. some people, if you combine giving and security, it means that when you give, you want that person to be accountable. 
On the other hand, if you combine giving with spontaneous, then you just somebody just says, oh, you know, I've been thinking about buying such and such. Oh, let me help you with that. Or you go to casino night as a charity thing, and you take your checkbook, and you're having a great time, and you're just giving very, very spontaneously. So that pattern mm-hmm. of giving and getting joy by giving, using your money to get joy by giving, um, is a is a primary pattern for mm-hmm. our habitudes. Great. So we talked about six primary money habitudes that impact your spending and saving decisions. And when we come back, we're going to hear a little bit more about the Money Habitudes personality game and some tips from Sybil on how to improve your finances and overall quality of life. We'll be back in two. Stay with us. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. This is Hemda Mizrahi with financial behaviorist Sybil Solomon. 
we talked about the primary money habitudes that impact your spending and saving decisions. There are six patterns that Sybil discussed. Security, carefree, planning, status, spontaneous, and giving. And Sybil, we'd love to hear more about your Money Habitudes personality game. Okay. It's actually very simple. Um, let me tell you a little bit about why I started this. It's because, unbeknownst to me, I never realized how difficult it was for people to talk about money, even though I it was difficult for me, but I'd never thought about it. So... What happened is a number of people I found were keeping money secrets from their spouses. Mm-hmm. And, or they would tell me secrets of how ashamed they were of the way they had gone into debt or the way that they had passed over some really wonderful opportunities because they were afraid to spend their money. But what I heard was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and I couldn't understand it because these were people who were intelligent, they made good decisions, they were successful. Um, So it was like, why were they so irrational and so shameful, uh, uh, so ashamed of some of their money decisions? So I started looking into that, and it turns out that money is the number one topic that is the most taboo in our society. In fact, what you'll find is couples will share their intimate sexual histories before they will share with their partner what they owe or what they earn. No, I'm, I'm wondering what is it about money relative to other very personal topics that makes it more taboo? Because when people are talking about money, they're, they're talking about money as if it is what we're really talking about. But what they're talking about is their history, the messages that they've gotten from their family, the messages from their experience, from their society, the, um, whether they feel proud and it's a good relationship with money or whether they're ashamed of it or they feel guilty. There's so many emotions involved with money. And as I said before, money can represent control or power or freedom, love, rejection, the whole range of emotions. So when you're talking about money, somebody may be saying, let's say it's after the holidays and the credit card bill comes and the husband says to the wife, oh, um, did you realize it cost us an extra thousand dollars when we flew home to see your parents? And all he was saying was, gee, I'm not sure if this bill is correct. But mm-hmm. what the wife heard was, you didn't want to go to see my parent. your parents, you didn't want to go see my parents, and now you're complaining about that bill. And I feel like I forced you to come, and that you didn't enjoy yourself. And all these messages are going on in her head, and all he was asking about was, is this bill correct? Mm-hmm. Right? So oftentimes, we jump to those messages and those memories and we don't actually hear what's being asked or hear what's being said. Um, so it becomes very emotional. I mean, a very serious thing is a lot of people have had to deal with being sexually or physically abused when they were children. Mm-hmm. And it's not un- uncommon that when somebody's been taken advantage of, that that person might give them money and say, here's $20, don't tell your, your mother 
or don't tell anybody about this. And the memory in the back of their head now, it, when they get money, is that money is dirty. It, it reminds them of something that's shameful. Mm-hmm. Right? right, so there or are a lot of loaded issues that really can come up when you delve deeper into this issue of people's relationships with money. Right, and, and the thing is that if we aren't aware of those patterns, and if we're not aware of our reactions, then what happens is we are reacting in the old way, in the normal way. So when we say we want to do things differently, in the moment, if we're not prepared to act differently, if we don't know the kind of situations and predict the kind of situations that we later, are, that we later regret, then we're just going to keep repeating them. To your listeners, is that they think about, do, is there a pattern to times when I've regretted um, my decisions or my actions? And that sometimes can lead them into some really good insights about what's mm-hmm. going on. Right, so just really looking at the issue of regret. Right, or it could be the opposite. It could be looking at the issues where you feel, and regret doesn't necessarily mean that it's something bad. It could be that you regret that you didn't do something um, positive as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that you didn't buy that house or you didn't take a chance on that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many people say, if only I did this, right. I'd, be a, I'd be a billionaire right now. <laughs> and, and they might be right. And if they figure out their pattern, <laughs> then uh, they, might, they might have the insight to, to change that behavior. So this is really a really important point that you're talking about. And we know when we talk about the issue of change that we're taking a look at, of course, a mobilizing factor to be able to initiate change is just becoming aware, like you're saying, of the patterns that exist in your life and the times where, let's say, you regret either doing something or didn't do anything. When it comes to the part of actually about the behavior change, where even when people recognize a pattern they're still having some difficulty changing the behavior. Do you have any recommendations about that? When, when people recognize a pattern, sometimes it's really helpful for them to talk to someone else and to get another perspective. Uh, there was some research done that said, if, let's say that I said to you, Hemda, I'm, I'm having this issue of every month I'm running short of my money. And can you help me just look at this? Mm-hmm. The chances are that you would sit down and you probably would have seven suggestions of things that I could do differently. Right? But if you're the one that's emotionally involved in it, usually we can only see one different way to handle a situation. So often when we're, when we're trying to make a change, it's really good to talk to somebody who you respect or somebody who has some professional background to help you get a perspective and to see that there are many different options to the way that we address anything that we want to change. And mm-hmm. lots of times one of those options, it's like, oh, I could do that. That's not a problem. Um, or it may be that you know what to do, but when you're actually in the situation, you can't bring yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to have somebody um, talk with you as a coach or as a counselor or as a friend that can help you 
develop some strategies so that when you're in the situation, you learn to say no or you learn to say yes or you learn how to avoid the situations that are problematic for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether you're talking about a situation in a marriage or a business partnership or if you're really just working individually to change your behaviors, enlisting that kind of support of someone who really can help to be a facilitator around the change process can really push those insights forward. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. I'm also an executive coach, and I was working with somebody that all got all kinds of feedback that on the surface it looked like this person was very introverted and People said he was so quiet, nobody got to know him, and he was their boss. So it caused a lot of problems. And as we were talking, it turned out he was introverted, but his bigger problem was that he was just cheap. And he wouldn't Mm -hmm. spend the money to bring people together from all over the country that worked for him in one place so they could get to know each other, they could share their visions, share their issues, and talk to each other and develop a network. And when I said, well, why don't you bring them in? He said, do you know how much money it costs to bring in 12 (laughs) people from all over? I said, yeah, but look what's happening. (laughs) You're (laughs) losing a lot of money in your business as a result of this. So he did it. Um, And, you know, just doing that, making, being able to get over the hump and spend that money and see that there were really good outcomes that would come from that, it was such a successful experience that it changed the way that he did business. Mm-hmm. What were some of the outcomes that he valued? Well, the outcomes, number one, were that the people that worked for him got to know each other and they developed a network and they shared information and they were in sales. So it really changed the way that they approached their business. They wound up selling more. They wound up seeing places where there were um, different ways that they could combine things and merge different products so that they could have more economies of scale. Um, it, was, it was actually quite dramatic. Right, mm-hmm. right. so um, when you're able to work with a coach and actually make the connection between changing the behavior and as a result of that, gaining things that you value such that there's a very strong return on investment that can really help. I had um, one couple that had come to an event that I did, and afterwards they emailed me and they said, we've been married for 42 years, and in 42 years we have never had a conversation about money Remember when we avoided it, but when we had to, we've never had a conversation about money where we didn't have an argument. And they did the Money Habitudes cards, and they talked about that, and then they had a conversation about money. She said it's the first and only time that we have ever talked about money without having a fight, and we had really good outcomes. We were really able to... I'm not sure, I think they were doing like retirement planning, mm-hmm. and she said it was the first time that we were able to um, really talk honestly about retirement and how we could start approaching our money for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, I've so- had some people who have done the cards, I have to tell you my favorite story, uh, this woman did the cards, and she called me up, 
actually, she didn't call me. She emailed me. She was in Switzerland. And she told me that there was one card that was one of the security cards, and it says, um, I rarely buy anything that would make that could make my life easier. And it, that card just really bothered her. So she started thinking about it, and what she realized was the messages in her head was, you don't have any money, you're a single mom, you're a teacher, you have to be careful with every single penny that you spend. And what she realized was now she was the chair of a department at a university. Her daughter was grown up. She had enough money to live comfortably. And she went out and she had somebody come and help her clean her house, which was, like, amazing for her. And she said, and I bought a potato peeler. (laughs) What is that? You bought a potato peeler? She said, yes, you don't. When you don't have money, you don't need a potato peeler. You can use a Mm -hmm. knife to peel your potatoes. Mm. So it sounds like this game that you've developed, this Money Habitats personality game, is really mobilizing for people because it really gives them a structure through which they can have these insights and have better conversations and also really move forward in terms of changing behavior. Yes, that's, that's very true. And one of the things um, when you, basically all you do with this is there's 54 cards, you read them and you sort them into piles that say that's me, that's not me, that's sometimes me. And when you get done, there's interpretation cards. And each of them will tell you what the advantage is of that of the habitude that's your strongest habitude, what the challenges are, how people might see you, and different people might see you differently. And on the back of the card, it has suggestions of things that you can do. And I have had people come up to me and say, you know, I did your cards a year ago, and I was in debt. And I read and did everything that was on the back of one of those interpretation cards. And she said... It changed my life. Mm-hmm. I am out of debt. I feel good about myself. And it just took doing those few simple things. It's a great note for us to wrap up on. Our time went by so quickly. Such an interesting topic. And I want to thank you so much. And also to invite listeners to take these steps forward and really experience this wonderful system that you created that has changed lives by going to your moneyhabitudes.com website. And that's where you can purchase Sybil's Money Habitudes deck of cards, or you can access her online card game. In addition, for some guidance around Inspired Savings, which is the name of one of Sybil's books, you can purchase that book through the products page of her site. And if you have unanswered questions about today's episode, please email them to me at hosthemda at gmail.com. We'll be sure to post responses on our social media sites, which you can access by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.